In this episode, we speak with Taylor Rhodes, CEO of Applied Systems, the leading global provider of cloud-based software that powers the business of insurance. Recognized as a pioneer in insurance automation and an innovation leader, Applied is the world's largest provider of agency and brokerage management systems. Taylor joined Applied in 2019 after serving as CEO of SMS Assist, the leading cloud-based software platform for multi-site property management. Previously, he was the CEO of Rackspace, where he led the company's growth from a cloud pioneer to an industry leader with more than $2 billion in revenue. Taylor was recognized as one of the top 50 SaaS CEOs of 2023 by the Software Report. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to follow. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you. It's my pleasure, RJ. Thanks for having us. Very excited for this conversation. You have great experience in leadership positions, growing tech companies, software companies. I thought I'd start off in an interesting part of your kind of career, and that's when you were in the Marines. I had worked with a Marine when I was in investment banking, and I thought this person was like extremely disciplined. I think they swam every single morning on top of having a very strenuous investment banking job to go to for many hours of the day. Have you found that that kind of experience in the Marines prepared you to be a good executive? I absolutely do. I think there's a lot of parallels. One, though, just sort of misconception from people who haven't served time in the military is that the Marine Corps is sort of command and control, and it's very centralized and kind of hierarchical. And what I found is that the opposite is true. The Marine Corps is very entrepreneurial. It's the smallest of the service branches. It has the fewest resources. Uh, you might have heard the old phrase, you know, adapt and overcome. There's an old saying in the Marine Corps, the plan will never survive first contact with the enemy. And so what it really taught me was to be resourceful, to be resilient, to be mentally tough. You talk about that discipline. I, I think it's mental discipline, which then leads to physical discipline. But mental discipline, mental toughness is what you take away the most. Because life's hard, RJ. You know that, right? Curveballs come at you all the time. And when life is hard, having that mental discipline, that mental toughness and that resiliency to figure out the way forward and in a leadership role, inspire others and help them figure out the way forward. That's probably the most relatable experience that I take from the Marine Corps into leading a company today. And then when I took a look at your experience at Rackspace, I saw that within like one to two years, you were kind of, you know, rising through the organization, ultimately culminating in your role as president and CEO. Take us back to that time. How were you able to kind of rise through the organization so quickly? Were you identified, I think, early on? Well, look, I spent over 10 years of my career at Rackspace and joined when we were a relatively small company. And I was one of the first kind of senior outside people hired. So when I first joined, I was actually running a significant part of our operation. And I got to do a lot of different jobs in Rackspace because we were a startup, because we were changing fast, because we were growing all the time. In those environments, you have a single job, but you have many jobs, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And so over time there, I got to do a lot of different roles. It gave me a lot of different perspectives and experiences 
all the way from the product side of the house through to the customer service delivery side of the house, the financial P&L management, helping start new business segments. And so over time there, I got to help lead our move up market into the mid-market and enterprise business. I got to move overseas and build our international business outside the U.S. And then all of that culminated in sort of the 2012, 13, 14, when I became president of the company and then ultimately CEO. But there was a long lead up doing lots of different parts of the company and uh, helping us scale up and grow. Now let's hop over into uh, applied systems. For the benefit of our audience, can you tell us a little bit about what applied systems does and who it serves? Sure. We are a vertical software company in our vertical market, a very specific end market. We serve insurance agencies and insurance carriers. And we serve those folks in the US, in Canada, in the Republic of Ireland, and in the UK. Those are our geographic markets. But we make principally a software package called an agency management system that allows agencies and brokerages on the distribution side of insurance to run their businesses all the way from sales and marketing capabilities into servicing capabilities, accounting capabilities, et cetera. And then on the carrier side, we also make software for the carriers, the manufacturers of insurance that helps them understand their distribution channels better, have connectivity solutions to those agencies, et cetera. So that's what we do. And, and we do it for that very, very specific end market, which is insurance agencies and carriers. Yeah, insurance is such a, a massive market and a very like lucrative market as well. What are some of those interesting trends that you've been seeing in the overall insurance space? Yeah, insurance is that ubiquitous market, right? It touches everybody's lives. Yeah, I always tell people, hey, good luck doing anything without insurance. You can't buy a car, you can't buy a house, you can't open a small business. You can't do really anything without insurance being a part of your life. And historically, insurance has been not the greatest you know, experience, right? It's been one of those um, industries that nobody really likes to have to deal with. It was historically under levered to the value of technology to create better user experiences, to harvest data and analytics, to make better decisions. And the, frankly, when I chose to join Applied four and a half plus years ago, it was because it's this ubiquitous industry that touches every part of everybody's lives, and yet it needed to catch up on the value of technology innovation to make the end user experience better, to make the experience better for the people who work in the industry. And that was kind of an intriguing challenge that I thought my past experiences in helping other industries adopt cloud technologies, adopt new application models, et cetera, could bring into this industry. And can you give us a, an idea of kind of the breakout of the agents? that you serve, like in terms of what type of insurance are they selling? And are there kind of certain segments that are more concentrated than others? Yeah, we principally focus on property and casualty insurance, so PNC insurance. And we also focus on the employee benefits segment, but we don't touch all of the other elements of insurance. So life and health and things like that. So we're a PNC specialist. A lot of our clients over time have added employee benefits into their PNC book of business. And so we've sort of followed their need for a system, a platform that can handle PNC and benefits, but that's where we focus. Got it. And then in terms of the overall organization, can you give a sense for the, the size of the organization? Then we'll go into a little bit about your philosophy around culture. Yeah, we're the market leader in the US and Canada and the Republic of Ireland. We're growing, we're a challenger brand in the UK. We entered the UK a few years ago. UK is interesting because it's the second largest insurance market in the world behind the US. And so there's lots of growth room there. You know, we're several thousand employees in those geographies. And, and you add India into that mix where we have some captive software teammates who, who help us, you know, do what we do 24-7. But that's kind of the size and shape. And you know, we serve thousands and thousands of insurance agencies and hundreds of insurance carriers. 
and those are our clients. And you know, our culture is very customer centric. We remind ourselves all the time when when our customers win, we win. So what can we be doing to help our customers win? And that's how we keep those you know roughly three thousand people really aligned and really focused on what's the product value that we need to deliver, what's the service value we need to deliver. When we help them win, we naturally, as an outcome of that win, as a company. And with your kind of employee base spread out across your different geographies and offices, are there things that you do to help cultivate a more cohesive culture where there's this sense of belonging to the company, belonging to the mission and overall community of applied systems? We're very, very intentional about that, RJ. As you know, I think culture is a word that's used a lot and sometimes maybe used too often, but culture is kind of that ineffable element of getting a group of human beings to rise up together and accomplish more together. It's the unifying fabric of a company. I always say, hey, corporation's a nice, fancy, big word, but it's just a bunch of humans. So how are we going to get these humans aligned behind an inspiring mission, feeling like they are excited about what they're doing, that what they're working on is worthwhile, that they are understanding what our priorities are and why those are our priorities and how their individual roles fit into those. So for me, it starts with clarity of communications. Where are we going? How are we going to get there? What's your individual role in that? How will we know if we're being successful along the way? And don't ever take communications for granted. You have to say things many, many times in different forums and different venues, some digitally, some in person. You know, we do a team applied talks video on a very regular basis where we can just share reminder. Here's our goals and priorities. Here's why those are our goals and priorities. Here's how we're doing against them this year. Here's what we're not doing well and what we need to do about it. So we are super intentional about creating that connective tissue for our folks across the globe. And then regularly talking about what's working, what's not working, what do we need to do differently in order to execute better, celebrating our wins along the way. So we work really hard at that. I'm curious if you've been part of organizations before where you've really honed in on how they were doing things in order to scale and you were able to take some of those key learnings. Do you view the way you lead today as kind of that amalgamation of, of all those experiences? Yeah, I think you're a fool if you don't learn, right, <laughs> from yeah. the past. And, and look, this is my third time being a technology company CEO. And so much of what I do today and how I do it is informed by my experiences in the past. You know, Rackspace was a hyper-growth, crazy story of starting a company. You know, I didn't start it, but I joined the, the, the starting team fairly early. And learning about technology innovation, we were one of the first cloud computing companies truly growing, you know, a massive cloud business back in the early days of cloud when it was just AWS and Rackspace. That was all about hyperscale and how do you hire the right people and, and keep and evolve the right culture to handle that hyper growth? And how do you put customers at the middle and how do you unify things like technology innovation with scaling the P&L? Tons of leadership experiences that I learned there, you know, and then you just... Over time, what you do is you learn what works and you learn what doesn't work, and hopefully you get better as you go. I, I don't want to get worse as I go, so hopefully you get better as you go and you just accumulate wisdom from your experiences. And I think so much of what I do today, you could ask you know Taylor 20 years ago, some of the things I do today, I would have had no clue on how to do those things or why I would do them because I just hadn't had the experience yet. Mm -hmm. Now, are you fueling your growth through outside capital or, or through profitability? We cash flow our growth. You know, we have a, a set of very awesome investors. You know, we're a privately held company. We have a collection, you know, of classic, what I would call long hold private equity. Hellman and Friedman is our principal owner. Their strategy is to own high quality assets for a long period of time where they can feel like they can continue to invest in the asset 
to create value creation over time. And they're happy to hold for as long as that takes. They've held applied since 2014. They're very happy with the business. So the benefit we have as a leadership team is we've got very consistent ownership that is long-term minded, that listens to our recommendations on where there is good investment that will drive future growth, future customer value, and ultimately future equity value creation. So we don't have to worry about flipping owners every couple of years, which really as a leadership team gives you the ability to settle in, really understand your end market, really understand your clients and how to differentiate yourself and then make those investments, have the courage to make those investments that might take years to pay off, but that you have high conviction will pay off. So we're really blessed to have great leaders who not only know software very well, they know software investing super well, they also know insurance very well. They've been around the insurance technology space for quite some time, so they can add a lot of value to us. And I see you own multiple brands. You know, Going forward, do you see your path to expansion, both as a combination of organic and acquisitions? We have been an acquisitive company, mostly for acquiring product capabilities. You know, We always do a build by partner assessment. We want to understand where that next value creation opportunity comes from for our large installed base of customers, but also, frankly, to attract new customers. And then we say, okay, if, we, if we've done enough work in the market to understand where the needs are, where the gaps are, where our clients would value us going somewhere, then we take a hard look and we say, hmm, is that something we can build ourselves? Are we good at that? Do we have the right skill sets? How long would it take us to build it? Is there somebody else out in the market who's got product market fit and traction in that space with talents and a product that might complement our portfolio? Or somebody partner? Is it important but non-strategic so we should partner with somebody because we're never going to go really try to play in that space ourselves, but having an integration and a partner strategy would help our clients. And so oftentimes that leads to, look, we should build this because we're experts at the intersection of insurance and technology. But frankly, you know, when you find an awesome team that has invented something really great that clients love and they're getting traction in the market, and you believe that they are the right type of entrepreneurs who would fit with your culture and make you better, oftentimes an acquisition makes perfect sense for us. So I think we've done seven to 10 acquisitions over the last five years. We do operate a couple of them under separate brands, but we, we're not a holding company where we just want to acquire things and let them run. We want to make sure we can add value to those assets and run them with the intentionality that really amplifies our overall strategy. And what do you think is the most challenging aspect to scaling? Obviously, there's multiple components to ensure that the organization keeps building and growing top line as well as improving efficiencies. What's yeah. been your biggest challenge? If you're a leader and you don't focus on having the right leaders in all the key roles, you're going to fall down. All right, because the bigger a company gets, the more complex things get, the harder it is to amplify that consistent communication, that consistent mission, vision, and values, that consistent set of priorities. So I always focus on the basics, right? You remember Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, where he said, you got to have the right seats on the bus and the right people on the right seats. That sounds so easy, but oftentimes companies skip over that and they get it wrong. So my number one job here, I believe, is to build an excellent leadership team who then in turn will also attract and build excellent leadership teams within their organizations. And if we do that right, then our frontline employees will believe they have bosses who care about them, bosses who sponsor them, bosses who want to invest in learning and development for them, bosses who communicate clearly, who help them have context, bosses who are effective at performance management so that they don't allow poor performers to hang around and demotivate the high performer. So get your leadership right. And I think everything else rolls from there. And how do you stay honed in on you know, how your leaders are doing, how long do you give them if you find that they could be 
not going in the direction that you were intending them to go in. Yeah, you know, I think it's a fallacy that every that you're going to hire right every single time, right? In fact, if you ask me, Taylor, what's the hardest thing about your job? Hiring well is the hardest thing. Interviewing is the worst form of hiring because everyone's faking it a little bit, right? Mm. And so how do you get people to be open and real and authentic during that process? And what I try to do is I try to say, hey, I'm going to tell you all the good, the bad, and the ugly about Applied. No company's perfect. I want you to understand what you would be walking into. I want you to understand what I would expect of you. And I want to give you the opportunity to see if that sounds right for you and be honest. Because at this stage in your career, usually I'm hiring senior people. You don't want a career mistake that you have to explain on your resume. And I don't want to make a bad hire. So let's be open and honest with each other. And I find oftentimes that really gets people to open. They're refreshed by being able to say, okay, you know what? This is a two-way thing. I need to make a great decision here too. So is this a fit for me? Am I going to be good at what Taylor's telling me he's going to expect of me? And I find that to be not perfect, but effective. On the other hand, if you get it wrong, you got to recognize it as soon as you can and take the action, right? Uh, The longer you let a poor hiring decision fester, the more damage it will do in the organization. I've never once had to let someone go that I probably couldn't have let go two or three or four months earlier than I did, right? And so it's having the discipline to recognize it have the direct conversations and set clear expectations. But if it's just not working, have the courage to sit down and just say, hey, we've got to part ways here. Yeah, I once heard the advice, uh, and I'm not sure if this is correct or not, that the first time you think about whether someone is right for the role is probably the right time to make the decision. Would you agree with that? At this stage in life, if my instincts, which are honed by experience, are telling me that something's just not right. First of all, I got to be close enough to that person on a regular interaction basis to either validate that quickly or refute it. But once you sort of start to know, you know, and then Mm. it's just time to say, hey, this isn't going to work. Yeah, it's time to go. Right. We're coming up on time. I have two final questions. Before I head into the two final questions, though, I'd like to ask, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Or what's the best piece of advice that you give to others? Look, I think honestly, it goes back as a business leader purely. There's other parts of my life, but as a business leader purely, it is truly focus on getting your team and the culture of your team right. And to do that, it takes intentionality. It takes a lot of time together. It takes a lot of direct and frank conversations. It takes being able to foster an environment where the boss isn't always right. So, hey, I don't have all the answers. In fact, I always tell my teams, the fewer decisions I have to make, the better we are. I will step in and make them where we can't agree or someone's just got to be the boss and step in. But guys, I hired you because you're talented, you're experienced, you're wise in your own ways. I'm going to trust your decision-making until you give me a reason not to, right? So you, you, you actually give a lot of empowerment to your people. And I find that most people, if you hire right and you spend that time together as a team, you create the right culture, they'll rise up to that. They will love it. They will thrive in being able to have that trust and autonomy with inspection, you know, given to them. So get your team right. If you're trying to scale a business, whether you're a startup or a mature company, this is true. If you get the team right and the culture in the team right, you will build a great business. Excellent. Okay. Heading into the tail end here, can you tell us about a person who has had a profound influence on you? Yeah, it was my grandfather, Bill Putney. He was a World War II veteran. He landed on Omaha Beach on D-Day, survived and, and fought through the rest of the European theater came home from the war as a highly decorated guy. He was a leader. He was a young man when he landed on Omaha Beach. And within 30 days, 
just due to circumstances around him. He um, became the youngest lieutenant colonel in the European theater and was leading thousands of troops at a very young age. And when he came home from the war, he was also, you know, he was a cattle rancher, so he could fix anything, he could do anything. He worked his butt off, but he was also an entrepreneur. He started a couple of businesses and was successful in those businesses. And I got to grow up with him and spent a lot of time working on that ranch and under his tutelage, learning that hard work matters, doing it right matters. You know, he used to pay me five bucks an hour back then. That was a lot of money. But what he was showing me was if you do hard work and you do it right, there's a reward. And the funny thing is, you know, he used to pay me with a paycheck that actually had a tax stub on it. And he would withhold taxes from me because he was also teaching me, hey, you, you've got to be a good citizen, right? You've got to contribute. Uh, so he was a very, very instrumental figure in my life that I, I still carry a lot of life lessons from. Excellent. Last question. Can you tell us about a charity cause or other endeavor that you're passionate about? Yeah, personally, my wife and I are, are very involved with an NGO called World Vision. We focus on eradicating extreme poverty in you know tough parts of the world. And we do that through economic development. Uh, we do it through clean water projects. We do it through education. We do it through with a point of view that you know when you give someone a fish, you're going to walk away and they're going to be hungry again. When you teach them how to fish and you build the infrastructure that allows them to create their own economy, they can sustain that life-making difference over time. And so we're really passionate about that. Excellent. Well, Taylor, I want to thank you. I also want to congratulate you on being a uh, top 50 SaaS CEO of 2023. Thank you again for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Hey, RJ, thanks for having us. We really enjoyed the opportunity to chat with you today. 